0: David Sinclair Speaks, and you are now tuned in to the Sinclair Speak Show. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Sinclair Speak Show podcast. I'm your host, Yahavi Sinclair. Now, guys, we are sitting here with another impactful guest, Sandy Rodriguez, writer, author, communication expert, bilingual, teaching people how to perfect speaking Espanol. Now, I am really excited for this podcast interview in particular because of the issues that I faced in the service industry as a former personal trainer, I've had clients and I've had that language barrier and I could never break it. And I've always felt if I knew this language, I could make a lot more money. Not only that, but if I know this language, I could change more lives. I was faced with a lot of hurdles in the service industry. So I am really excited to talk to Sandy today and also dive into her book, Choose to Prevail. Now I wanna get into the nitty and the gritty and the why this book is going to influence you to become a better you. Without further ado, guys, it's the honor to introduce Sandy, or you guys. Sandy, please welcome to the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. Give our audience a three to five minute introduction on yourself, your brand, your business. And of course, what brings
1: you on to the podcast? Well, thank you so much Javi. I'm a big fan of your show. So I'm delighted to be here and thank you for the lovely introduction. Uh, well, okay. I'll be more than happy to build upon that. Um, my previous, let's say incarnation was back when I was living in Mexico city, which is where I lived most of my life. Uh, when I was there i was working as an editorial coordinator for one of the foremost newspapers in latin america Uh, and that was a fascinating career to me i really really loved it you know and i see that a lot of people that are really passionate about their careers never even think to make any kind of a career shift however in my case it was a little bit different because Although I was extremely, extremely passionate about this line of work, and I was, to be honest, and I mean, modesty aside, I was very successful. I was making great money. I was doing very interesting things. Um, However, There was one and only one downside, which is that when you work in media, and very specifically in newspapers, that becomes an all-consuming activity. Not only do you actually, literally, work 14 hours, 15 hours, 16-hour days, or even beyond, but also keeping up with the news cycle. Although it is fascinating, it really is a 24-hour job, so you're never really off the clock. And to me, that was really not an issue because I was indeed very, very passionate about this. Then I had a few, um, let's say, personal challenges that happened, including, for example, um, the deaths of my father and my younger brother, for example, which led me to think that I really did need to make a shift in some way. Not to say that I am in any way regretful about the many, many hours and years of my life that I poured into this career, because again, it's something that I really liked. But uh, at a certain point in time, I felt that I needed extra time and not even only for interacting with people I loved, but just for very basic things. When I said I needed more time for myself. I don't mean like spa days or pedicures necessarily, or you know, that kind of thing, but just very, very basic things. Uh, I remember, and this is not even a joke, that sometimes uh, co-workers at my same level and I would show up at work and one day a friend of mine had holes in his shoes and he was like, you know, I got a hole in my shoe but I didn't have time to go and buy new shoes. And I was like, yeah, well, my pants grew and I just had to, you know, chop them off with scissors because I had no time to, to go to the stylist and such. We were really very strapped for time. so." Um, Yes, it was definitely a fascinating time, but I did want to make a change. And I figured it might be a very good idea to move um, elsewhere. So, you know, first thing was where, right? So I'm, not, I'm a city person. I've lived in um, Puerto Rico. i lived in Philadelphia. I've lived in Mexico City, which is one of the largest cities in, in the, on the continent, and I've also lived in Seoul, in South Korea. So I was not really thinking about a, a rural area, however relaxing that might be. But I thought, okay, it has to be a city, but it does have to be a city that is more laid back because otherwise, what what's the point? And I chose LA, which, um, of course, the stereotype is a very chill surfer or you know the very laid back person. And a bit of a stereotype that might not be entirely accurate but it is to me a much more laid-back city than where I used to live so in that regard I was uh, I think I made a good choice however the thing is that it was a bold move because I got here when I was let's say at the height of my career I was walking away from a very established uh, you know um, career And here, I barely knew anyone, and I knew that I was going to have to start in a new field from scratch, knowing pretty much nobody. And, um, well, I mean, initially, I was fortunately invited to participate in, in, you know, creative projects, interesting things. However, this was at a point in history when blogs and uh, other you know, content venues were popping up and many content creators were creating fabulous, fabulous content for free. So whereas that's fantastic for a content consumer, it's not necessarily fantastic for somebody seeking employment in that field. So I did do a lot of things, but more, let's say, for fun and for the experience of doing things here in LA, but not so much as uh, gainful employment. And I eventually fell into... um something that was not even on my radar which is court interpreting you know you up until then I hadn't even seen I don't think I'd even seen the outside of a courthouse that was just something that I was very unfamiliar with but let me tell you once I got into that line of business I was delighted I like it just as much as journalism or even better. It's a fantastic field, and I would recommend it to your listeners that might be fully proficient in in several languages. The barrier to entry, I won't lie, it's pretty high. It's, it's not easy to enter this line of work, and it's by no means uh, a cushion gig or anything like that. It's very rigorous. But it's fascinating, particularly because once you're done, you're done. You don't bring work home. It doesn't go on and on. You see results then and there. And that fact has allowed me to also delve into other things that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. For instance, I'm now a winemaker. I'm now an artist. And also, I recently wrote a book right here, (laughs) which I wouldn't have been able to do if I had remained um, in my old job.
0: So let's dive into this because I, I first off, I want to, I want to unpack everything that you just said, okay. <laughs> um, cause I want to go two ways. I want to dive into the book and I want to dive into winemaking. So let's talk about the first, because I am okay. a huge fan of wine, but I am a huge fan of reading. I love books. I want to know why the title choose to prevail. What inspired you to write this book and who is this book speaking to?
1: Thank you so much. I do know that you love books. I also know that you yourself are an author. So it's it's wonderful to speak with a with a fellow author and fellow book lover. Yeah, so well, you were asking firstly why uh did I choose the title Choose to, to Prevail. Okay. I love the word prevail in that it has like a number of layers of meaning. On the one hand, it refers to winning, being victorious, being triumphant. But it also implies an overcoming of an obstacle for instance if everything has been smooth sailing for you you wouldn't necessarily say that you have prevailed in order to prevail it is implied that you have overcome a thing so i think it's a very powerful word because it speaks uh, of victory and you know just triumph and it's a very very impactful word but it also um, implies the fact that whoever is eventually the prevailing party, or the person who has prevailed, has also fought uh, a struggle and has come out ahead. So that's uh, pretty much the, the reason that I selected the title. Mostly because the book, which is um, it's a slim book. It's a slim book, however, it has two very big goals. The two goals that I had in mind as I was writing is to help people feel more at peace, and to help people feel more confident, which actually kind of go hand in hand. I think that it would be very hard for you to feel at peace if your confidence, both self-confidence and confidence in the future were shaky. So uh, I think they do go hand in hand. And you might ask, okay, but what kind of um, topics does the book touch upon? Or as you were saying, who is it meant for? Okay. It's interesting that you should ask that. I feel that what I wanted to do was to help the reader prevail over whatever is causing them any kind of grief. Be it a, a large problem, such as the death of a loved one, for instance, or a smaller problem, such as maybe insecurity about their physical appearance or you know just the stress of being blocked on social media by a former friend or dealing with uh, difficult people or um, many different things that can that can pop up over the course of a day. Um, and here's the thing. No matter how personal we believe our problems to be, they're really not. In fact, I would say that the more personal we feel an experience is, the more universal it actually ends up being. Um, it's very interesting. One of the things that I touch upon in the book is that we should never be jealous or envious of others. And the reason I believe that that is the case is that we don't know the whole... We can't see everything that's going on in their lives. For example, and I'm not even talking about going on social media because obviously there the situation is much more uh, two-dimensional or more limited. But even in real life, you might see somebody that's very... I don't know, very rich. Uh, It might be the CEO of a company or just somebody you see in a Ferrari, you know, driving down the street. And you might be like, oh, my goodness, I'm so jealous. you don't know maybe the person is struggling with addiction for instance or maybe you might see somebody that has this fabulous relationship or marriage or this beautiful girlfriend or you know dating a model or something you may be like damn i wish that were me but you don't know maybe the person has a lot of uh financial struggles or health struggles it's very hard to to know what's going on with people so it's important not to um not to be jealous and by the same token it's also important. Not to be sorry for people or condescending toward people, because sometimes we might see, you know, uh, uh, an area that somebody is struggling with, and we might say, "Oh, I feel so sorry for that person. Uh, poor, uh, poor!" That, I, I, it's just awful, and we really don't know. I mean, maybe the person might be struggling in that one regard, but they're doing fantastically in all others. So, the main uh, takeaway from that particular chapter is that. In the end, I mean, when we reach the ends of our lives, all of us, if we were to average out the good and the bad that we all had in our lives, they would kind of be similar because everybody does undergo struggles, big and small. Everybody has some degree of tragedy in their lives, but also everybody has some reasons to feel joyful or proud. And that's, it's very fascinating, I think.
0: Man, I love it. I I, Yeah, you just hit something spot on, like, you know. My takeaway from your last point was, you know, you're not obligated to help everyone, right? Yes. Um, You know, Mary's problems isn't your problems, right? So mm-hmm. you, you don't want to take on that energy and put that burden on you. So choose to prevail. I love mm-hmm. it. I, I freaking love it. I, for me personally, like, I'm like, when you were talking, I'm like, you were hitting some areas. I'm like, man, I just got through that, right? I just went through <laughs> this, right? What's going on, guys? It's your hobby, David Sinclair Speaks, and you are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speak show. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast on platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything that you need in a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app and start your journey today. It's that time. But yeah, no, it's spot on. These the, the littlest things have the largest ripple effect, and we overlook uh, all the points that you're talking about. Not envying people, you don't know. Yeah, that person has a Ferrari, but that person probably doesn't love themselves, right? To to purchase materialistic items, that's your only joy or fulfillment. You know, you don't want to envy that, right? So, oh, I I love it. I'm excited to dive a little bit more into the book. Um, so when you wrote this book when you wrote when you first wrote this book because when i wrote my book i started writing my book about 2 years ago and when like when, when i put the finishing touches on it it wasn't what i expected it to be would you say the same thing about this book w- was was this your plan or did you have a different plan for the book and it kind of just went
1: naturally with energy Well, I think that I had a very clear picture of what I wanted to do. I have a lot of um, friends that, like myself and most likely like yourself, are extremely busy. They're all very, very busy people. They have their hands in a lot of projects and they're just, you know, overwhelmed at times. So I knew I wanted to write uh, a short book. Now there's, uh, I've been working in editing for many years and there is a saying, which is I didn't have time to write a short book, so I wrote a long book. What that means is that it's way more difficult to write a short one. It's way more difficult to edit down what you want to say and to make it fit into a specific amount of pages because it forces you to trim all of the fat. It forces you to not be repetitive, and it's really um, a challenge. So I did know that I wanted to do that. That was like thing number one. I wanted it to be convenient for people to read over the course of uh, an afternoon or a weekend, and that was something that was that was important. The other thing is that as I was writing, I had, let's say, like an ideal reader in, in mind. And when I say an ideal reader, I thought about friends of mine that have reached out to me over the past few years, even before COVID, and they have said, you know, we're feeling very stressed out, or we're feeling very overwhelmed, or we're not feeling as confident as we used to. And, you know, to me, when my friends uh, say that to me or confide in me that these are their feelings normally I would be very surprised because when I see my friends by all accounts, I would assume that they're doing very well. They appear to be very successful. They're very attractive on many levels. They seem to have it together. But it's interesting to me that even people that might outwardly be doing very well might have um, inner struggles of many different natures that you might not discuss with, with just anyone. And I think that As I was writing the book, I was trying to do it in a way that pretty much took away the stigma that still might exist in regard to self-help. A lot of people would say, yeah, I'm I, I'm never buying a self-help book or a transformational book or a motivational book. That's for, I don't know, losers. That's not my thing. But that is a very outdated perspective. In fact, I would venture to say that right now, people that do gravitate towards self-help are seen as very modern people, very progressive, very in touch with their feelings. And although the stigma is Fading a bit. I wanted to drive that point home that it's it's fine and it's cool and it's it's uh just a universal experience, many of the things that people are going through. So the cover, as you can see, is um very unisex. Firstly, it doesn't look like a book for, for ladies or anything like that. And um the the title itself is it's not like how to be happy in 21 days or anything like that. It's, it's uh, a different type of book. The book itself is is not overly prescriptive. It's not meant to be talking down to the reader. If anything, it's meant to be very conversational. And many readers um, have gone on Amazon and Goodreads and other forums to say that their experience in reading the book was not so much like reading a traditional self-help book, but more like sitting down with your buddy and having a cup of coffee, sharing a beer, you know, a glass of wine and just hashing things out and having your very supportive friend, which in that case would be me, you know, telling you that everything is going to be all right and leaving you with a greater sense of confidence and a greater sense of agency over your future once we're done with the conversation. And I'm actually quite happy because um, the demographics, the people that are gravitating toward the book and buying it and reviewing it and liking it, um, it's different from what you would necessarily, well, what you might expect a self-help reader to be like. You might Imagine that it would be mostly women, or you might even have a certain type of woman in mind. But in reality, it's been uh, sought after uh, more by men than by women. Most of the readers have been guys. And uh, by all accounts, very appealing guys, guys in media, guys in finance, uh, also women, of course. I mean, but interestingly enough, there's uh, almost a 50 50 split. And if it does lean toward one side, it might be more. Uh, more frequently read by, by men. So I thought that was interesting. I wanted to ask you
0: this question, as and I literally thought about it as you were talking. Choose to prevail. Would you say prevailing is a choice?
1: It is. I mean, there are just so many things that we do have control over. Here's the thing, I don't want to uh, be dismissive of um, the impact that circumstances might have on our outcomes. Certainly there are some things or certain things that do have an impact and there's just no way around it. However, we can definitely make a choice to make things as, let's say, as appealing or as favorable as possible regardless of circumstance. I think to give you a very extreme example, we can look back on this man, Viktor Frankl, um, this author, a philosopher almost, that was locked in a concentration camp. And well, he um, He was searching for meaning, and he found a way to develop a very rich inner life, even within that horrifying circumstance. I can't think of anything worse than being trapped in a concentration camp and being subject to torture and whatnot. But in his case, even though he might not have had the opportunity to just walk out the door, for instance, he did uh, manage to, you know, use the space inside his head to live um, a fulfilling life and find meaning even within those terrible circumstances. Now, if we were to talk about something far less dire, I think that, yes, there are many, many ways that we can exert agency within any circumstances. And COVID comes to mind, for example. I can uh, say that very few people were delighted to be on lockdown uh, at least initially you know how um, how strict those lockdowns used to be now fortunately me i'm a bit of an introvert so i thought well it's a uh, you know at least initially it might be a good time to catch up on reading etc but i do know very, many very hardcore extroverts that were struggling like crazy i mean for them it was like like feeling like a lion in a cage right you have all of this energy and nowhere to go so what i did is i included um, a chapter in the book um, that will be useful for people whenever they are in that kind of a circumstance it's not necessary for a pandemic to pop into being for uh, people to sometimes need to spend time alone. I mean, sometimes there are canceled plans or you might have a cold or there might be, I don't know, something gets canceled because of rain or whatever. So people find themselves um, a little bit, um, you know, with more time on their own than they might be comfortable with. And that particular chapter in the book, Aims to teach extroverts to take a couple of cues from the introvert playbook, and see what value they can find in alone time. And there is plenty of value. For instance, if you're an, an artist, if you're a painter, if you're a musician, if you're a writer, if you're uh, if you want to create anything that requires extreme originality, maybe a business plan, maybe a screenplay, time alone is the very best time to do that because you're not influenced by groups or your surroundings so somehow you do tap into some reservoir of creativity that's in there in your brain that you might not have even you know been using otherwise so that's a great time to delve into that and even other things for example Um, Everybody knows that it's very cool to, you know, share meals with friends or go to the movies with your date or a friend or whatever. But when you enjoy a, a meal, a gourmet meal or a movie on your own, it's also very fascinating because you get to pick up on nuances in the flavors and the fill that you might not have otherwise. There's a very special enjoyment of of uh, the thing that you're indulging in that would not happen if you were with others because your attention would have been divided among other things and i do know that you're very much into fitness and uh there's also something uh many personal trainers that i have worked with have mentioned the importance of the muscle mind connection which is basically focusing your attention on the specific muscle group that you might be working specifically during uh, resistance training or you know, weight training, body weight training and such. And that is much more easy to do when you're alone than when you're in a class or surrounded by people. So I, I have found that you do get very quick results when you are embarking on a fitness program from home on your own and just focus on what it is that you're trying to achieve. So there are upsides. I mean, no question, even in a circumstance that few people would seek out on their own.
0: You, you know, you make a really good, valid point. And I wanted to ask you from the writer's perspective, because I was faced with so much writer's block when I was writing and you just literally mentioned mind muscle connection. What is it like for you when you're writing, you know, books like, you know, choose to prevail? How do you, how do you overcome if you have ever experienced that writer's block? Do you, is it the same? Is it that mind pen connection? How is that for you? What's that process like?
1: Well, I think that I was um, a little bit um, trained in the art of avoiding writer's luck. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, I worked as a managing editor for uh, about 16 years back in in Mexico City. I was in charge of What we called supplements which would have been uh, equivalent to small magazines or mini magazines and at a certain point in time I might have been responsible for maybe 50 titles a year so that's a lot and uh, we had many different topics that we touched upon including um, architecture, food and wine, uh, dermatology, senior citizens concerns, environmental issues, uh, just all kinds of different topics that we touched upon. But most importantly, the thing is that we really uh, had to, I mean, even if I might have said, oh, it's too bad that I have to close the environmental supplement right now because my, my interest right now, I would have rather be reading about entertainment or something. That was not a possibility because there are deadlines every single day that need to be met. Every minute, there are deadlines that have to be met. So I did know that. I had to set deadlines for myself, and even if they're artificial, because, again, when you're writing a book, unless you receive an advance and there's somebody harassing you and saying, hey, 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 Yahavi, we need the first draft by December 2nd or whatever, in reality, uh, most of the time, that's not the case, and you have to create an artificial deadline for yourself. Nothing gets you in the mood to write. And nothing lights a fire under you as uh, quickly as knowing that you need to do the thing. Now, I'm very good at self-motivating that way. Um, And going back to the topic of fitness, um, I like to have, I've always used for many years now, a very old school little date book that has like one page for each day. And I use it in many ways, not just to keep track of my activities, but I also use it to motivate myself in the following way. Let's say that I notice that I put on a little weight, for example, and I want to get back in peak physical shape. What I would do, Yahabi, is that I would put the cart before the horse. I would um, sign up for a uh, 10K, or I would schedule a bikini photo shoot, or I would schedule a uh, meeting with uh, former boyfriends or former classmates or any circumstance that would really motivate me to get on it and i would schedule it i don't know two months from, from now and i would do like a little countdown like i'm uh 10 days out i'm nine days out Jihadi that gets you to the gym i mean at five in the morning And the same thing can be said of how to do away with writer's block. If you say, okay, I'm having my launch party in, you know, in November, well, the book has to be ready by November. And this is not even a a thing that I'm making up. In this day and age, like, for instance, I I sometimes work in, in entertainment. Movie studios predetermine when a movie is coming out. And that's just the way it is. And you work back. Um, I mean, if you know that your movie is going to be in theaters, uh, in, I don't know, May, well, you better get on it. It's, it's, it's just something that you have to motivate yourself. You have to force yourself.
0: I love that. You know, what's so crazy at like, as a former personal trainer, that was one of the things that I've always pushed on my clients set a outside goal outside of the gym, not just, Oh, I want to lose 15, 20 pounds. You just mentioned the 10 K like doing a Spartan race, things in that nature. Um, that is, that is really incredible. And like, I literally just, I'm like, mm, like you literally just woke me up like that. uh from this, like I, things I haven't thought about in years because, because of this pandemic, because of COVID I've been at home and, um, I haven't been in the gym because I have a little one. My daughter's about to be two next month. And I was dealing with fear. That's something we could definitely touch on, but I was dealing with that of catching COVID going into these gyms and you just literally, the light bulb just went off after you, when you just said that, like set and set a goal, like you're 10 days out, you know, you want to do a 10 K you want to do this. You want to do this, set these goals and expectations. And I just want to say, thank you for that. But I do want to kind of like circle back, um. I don't want to forget about the wine. I want to dive into that too. And why winemaking too? So I want to go into that. But my last question for, from the writing standpoint is, did you always know, Did have you always known you was going to be a writer? Did, did, did like When you were five, could you
1: predict this? Uh, I believe so. Let me tell you what. My very first job. Uh, this is going to sound very weird. Uh, I had it when I was 12. So I was 12 years old and I was hired by a magazine that was actually based out of California. The name of the magazine was Young People Today. And although it was uh, owned and managed by adults, of course, the content and to a certain degree, the graphic design was done by children and teenagers. So it it was a very interesting project and I was hired as, let's say, the Mexico City correspondent for the magazine. So it was really cool because I was 12 and I was asked to, let's say, interview popular pop singers from back then. So I got to meet like these um, really cool celebrities. I mean, so it was fun for a little girl, right? It was it was fun. And I also got like checks for my writing. And that was, uh, it was interesting. It was interesting. Okay.
0: Stay here. See. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. I can't, I'm not getting you. Um, I'm not hearing you. Give me two seconds. Just do like a quick mic check. Go Go ahead and speak, Sam. Okay,
1: okay. Is this better? No? Much. Okay, let's see. Okay. Let me see. Perfect. Sorry about oh, okay. that. Okay, <laughs> no problem. No problem.
0: No, go ahead. Yeah, awesome. so... I just want to ask <laughs> a question. Did you, have you always known you was going to be in this position since you were younger?
1: Yes, I think that I did know that. And my very first job was back when I was 12, 12 years old. Uh, At that time, there was a magazine that was based out of California, based out of LA, that was called Young People Today. And that magazine, although the owners and the publishers were, of course, grown-ups, the actual content, both uh, articles and graphic design, was uh, done by children and teenagers. So I was hired by this magazine to be their Mexico City correspondent. And it was fabulously cool because I got to interview um, celebrities that were popular back then, which of course was very exciting for a little girl. And of course, what was also very exciting for a little girl was getting checks, getting paid for for my work as a, as a very young writer. So in that way, yes, I did know that I liked to write. Also, uh, back then uh, and throughout most of my, let's say, uh, teenage years or even my early adulthood, I was not very comfortable speaking in public. I was actually the opposite. I was very, very self-conscious that way. So my main... Um, Way of communicating what's uh, through writing. So that was definitely a thing. And here's the thing I was hired for my newspaper, the place where I spent uh, all of these years, when I was also quite young, almost fresh out of college, not quite, but almost. And um, it was quite fascinating. Over the course of those 16 years that I spent uh, at the newspaper, I met and made so many friends in, in publishing that. Everybody I know at some point has said, Sandy, you need to write a book. When is your book coming out? We want you to write a book. And I think, let me tell you, it's not so much that, that it was like my dream come true, but rather that I was feeling like pressured on all sides. Like, we need you to write this book. And I was like, that's extremely flattering and extremely kind, and I and I will. So I did. Yeah. So I think that I, I, I was aware. Yeah. All right. So
0: let's dive in. I want to dive into wine. I am... I am one. I am a sucker for red wine. I'm one. I love, I love a nice weekend after a long. I like. I got with wine. I have to earn it. So, if I I got a new marketing client and they signed on, yes, I'm getting me some red wine. But I want to know what made you get into the wine industry. I, I I don't really hear about it as much besides Gary Vaynerchuk. But I want to know what made you get into uh, the wine.
1: Well, let me tell you, um, when I started working for the newspaper, my very first uh, position in the newspaper, although that changed very quickly, but at least initially, I was hired to be the co-editor of two sections. One was the fashion section, and the other one was the food and wine section. So I think that uh, from that point on, I might have become a little bit more versed in wine than the average person more mainstream, it might sound like that, but I travel to different countries and different places just for wine tastings, and I thought it was interesting, definitely. And then um, as the years went by, of course wine became much more popular very popular in fact i've seen uh statistics claiming that certain years the u.s has had um more wine consumption than france for example so that's that's you know interesting so in any case in let's say around 2017 2018 um i had this boyfriend that he he uh was very well versed in in wine as well and uh, we, we enjoyed, you know, going places and just tasting wine. And at a certain point, I wanted to um, explore making wine. So uh, I asked if he would be willing to join uh, me in that pursuit, and he was kind enough to say yes. And I kind of just did a little research. It's very interesting because many people might assume that in order to make your own wine, you need to be um, the owner of a vineyard, for example. And that is not quite the case. In most cases, you can purchase grapes from existing vineyards. And in fact, there are many established um, wine labels that work that way. The person behind the wine label is not the owner of a vineyard, but rather they might have um, just so they source the grapes from from different places or one specific place. So that was interesting. Uh, so this guy and kind of I first we made um, a small amount. We just tried uh, our hand at making a small amount of Merlot and that went very well. So then we took it one step further and I found uh, a wonderful vineyard in the Paso Robles area where I purchased a hundred pounds of grapes and um, we actually made a fantastic Zinfandel out of those grapes. And when I say fantastic, I'm not even, you know, making it up. We actually won a bronze medal in a competition. So that was very cool. And, uh, you know, after after that time, I have been making more wine with other people, with friends, um, other, you know, experts, and even on my own. Uh, recently, I've been experimenting with fun and rather silly uh, experiments that, I don't even know if we could call them wine, but I've been doing like, let's say, I've been trying wine-making techniques on, not grapes, but let's say cranberry juice or cherry juice or apple juice. And the result is a very highly alcoholic drink that tastes so delicious and smooth. You take a little sip and you think, oh, there, I wonder how much alcohol is in this. And next thing you know, you're dancing on the table. But it's it's, uh, it's very fascinating. Oh, but let me tell you, I don't do this professionally. I only do it as a hobby. And let me tell you why. The thing is that in winemaking, scaling up is really hard. It's really hard. It's not the same experience as in, I don't know, um, baking. For example, if you have no... Uh, Experience in baking, you might say, okay, today I will learn how to bake a cake. And maybe next week I might bake two cakes, maybe the following week three plus a pie or whatever. And that's a very reasonable, you know, scale up technique. However, in wine, because of the equipment that's available for purchase and the amounts of grapes that one could feasibly buy, it's kind of like crazier because I think I might be mistaken, but I think that the smallest amount of wine that one could reasonably make from, say, a kit, that would be the easiest way to go about it, would uh, yield maybe five bottles of wine. Okay, but then the next step, the next possible step that you could feasibly do would be to buy 100 pounds of grapes and make maybe Thirty bottles of wine, or something like that. So it's it's a huge leap. It's a huge leap, and the next potential step would be going commercial and maybe getting a special license or permit. So it's it's really um, a little bit crazy. I think that what I've done so far, um, that's pretty much uh, the the farthest I'm going to go because otherwise I would have to probably go commercial and make more of a time commitment than than I would like to. But yeah, it's it's fascinating. Yeah.
0: I love the fact that you know you said like of course it's a hobby, but that I, I, I must be it's, number one. It 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 must be an educational experience and entertaining at the same time.
1: Yeah, it absolutely is, and it's very interesting because um, you know when you cook or bake, if you want to make something taste different, you might season it, or it's it's a special thing that you do. Whereas in winemaking, if you want a specific taste. You would have to get that from the start with your grape selection. and then modifying or kind of helping the taste along would depend on things such as where you're going to be doing the aging. So it's more like a it's more akin to and I'm kind of making this up, but it's more akin to chemistry than it is to cooking or baking. so it's 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 pretty interesting, I think, yeah.
0: No, it's really interesting that I, man, I am, I'm excited to eat. Like, I, I mean, wine making, like, I'm sure the process is, I would say a little bit more complex, but I know there's a lot more science behind it. But it sounds like a really, really interesting uh, industry to get in. Number one, number two, I, I, I know me. I don't know if that's something I'll dabble with, but I love wine. I'm, I'm, I love some red wine, but, um, making it and making that a business and making that profitable just like every other business is going to be a process but i do want to ask you a question and i i should have asked this question before about your book choose to prevail did you get a chance to do your book signing like or set up anything?
1: no actually that's a fantastic question because here's the thing okay like i told you i'm an extremely busy person like extremely and in fact the only reason i was able to Finish the book beyond the setting my own deadline thing, was that although I do work full time, and I do work on site, and I also have a lot of other stuff going on, uh, the reality is that there was a brief um, span back in 2020, where, uh, you know, the lockdowns were in full swing and I was able to stay home for um, a certain period of time. I would say maybe a couple of months, which in the grand scheme of things is nothing because soon I was back to work on site in person, which I love by the way, but I did have like a a little extra time to complete the book. So in that regard, COVID was, uh, again, not to minimize the impact that it has had on businesses and on people's health, but it was beneficial to me in that I was able to finish the book. However, um, even though I was back at work, even though I was uh, out and about, et cetera, the reality is that I was aware that most people, I would say 90% of people were were, um, home and on lockdown, and that in-person events would be almost impossible to carry out. And that to me was kind of disappointing because of course, who doesn't dream of, you know, a big lunch party, book signings, all kinds of activities. Well, let me tell you, I was able to do something that was even more impactful, I believe. So here's the thing. Sometimes, or rather often, I work with a company that's called Heart of Hollywood. Heart of Hollywood is a multimedia company that has a lot of things going for it. They have a magazine. I'm the editor of that magazine. They uh, do film production. They um, they have just a, a lot of things going on. And one of the things that they were, that really became their signature offering during COVID times, or has become their signature offering during COVID times, are these very impressive virtual events. So I had been to friends, let's say, Zoom book launches, and honestly, any book launch, even if it's a Zoom book launch from your kitchen table, is still you know something that's. Uh, It's an achievement. It's wonderful. But I did know that I wanted to go a little bit uh, beyond that. And I thought, okay, if things were open, I would have invested a certain amount of money, a certain amount of time, and a certain amount of effort into a book launch party. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all of these resources and pour it into this um, virtual event that will be produced for me by this company called Heart of Hollywood. So what ended up happening is that we shot the book launch as if it were an actual live TV show in a, in a green screen studio here in in Burbank, where you have many of the big studios. Uh, I had a few, um, let's say, on in person, let's say on site in person guests. Very few, very cold, safe. And we also brought in a couple of guests from Canada and a couple of guests from Mexico virtually. And there was also an interactive component added on to this virtual event. So it ended up being something very, very glamorous. I mean, far more uh, impactful than just being at the kitchen table. Um, It reached a a large enough audience. And the wonderful thing about this is that now it has been edited to... um, well, I mean, just as if it were a, a, a normal live TV show. And it was streamed on this new streaming platform called Heart of Hollywood Cinema that is actually in its, in its pre launch stage, but it was, let's say, opened up so that the My Book launch could be streamed. And uh, I think a lot of People that might not have been able to attend otherwise were able to to catch it. They liked it. And it was a really glamorous thing, Yahavi. For instance, one of my friends that's one of the foremost sommeliers on the continent, he designed three different drinks inspired by the book, inspired by the cover. So the colors of the cover. So uh, everybody that was going to join in received the recipes for the cocktails and the drinks well in advance so that they could enjoy them as the lunch uh, was carried out. Also, um, original music inspired by the book was composed and it was featured on the launch. This was music, um, well, I don't know, uh, I really like uh, rock music. I really like rock music. I, I like all types of music. I mean, to be honest, all kinds, but I always gravitate back to rock and punk music and just exciting music or exciting to me. And I thought it was very much in line with the book because the book speaks to being confident and what is more confident than something that is kind of heart pounding, etc. And I was also very flattered because, you know, some... Um, You know, literature has inspired music throughout the ages, even operas and so on, but it's very rare for a self-help book to inspire somebody to go out and compose original music. And that was the case. So that was super cool. So I had like this great launch and it will be streamed um, again on uh, heartofhollywoodcinema.com once the platform opens uh, to subscribers. And in fact, that company and I are working on a project right now we are about to um start recording um like a talk show where i will be interviewing people that have overcome challenges it's a talk show inspired by the book right now we're in the process of selecting guests people have been submitting their stories uh as potential guests and the panel is selecting people that will be joining me um soon so that would be a lot of fun in fact if any if anybody out there cares to submit their story they're more than welcome to we're still in that process they can find um a form to fill out at part of hollywoodmagazine.com and yeah that's that's where we are right now
0: so i want to ask you a question um all this stuff is really good but i also i i, I want to know um you know what's your take on i mean I'm a, I have a daughter. So for me, I push female empowerment, right? So your message to, uh, you know, uh, you know ins- aspiring female writers, right? You know, they're five, they're six years old. I, they they want to be Sandy Rodriguez when they grow up, mm-hmm. right? What, what can you tell, you know, little girls from across the country that want to do what you're doing right now? What words of encouragement can you tell them so they, they can feel confident in their ability to get this done?
1: That's an interesting question. Let me tell you, I think I had a very unique upbringing, but I wasn't aware. Here's the thing. I grew up in what can only be uh, characterized as a very, very feminist family or very feminist household. However, I was not even aware that that was not the norm until um, I would say I was maybe a, a teenager or a young adult. And I would find it bizarre that many of the females that I encountered, classmates and such, would um, seem to me like, I don't know, it's very strange. Things that I would assume were stereotypes or things that should not even happen were actually happening. For example, I think, like for instance, my mom is an architect and her sisters are an economist and a dentist and a statistician. And uh, to me, that's Completely normal. I see nothing weird about that. Not, I mean, it's a non an issue. And I do see that, you know, the, the reason I realized that, that that was not the norm is um, that I heard people saying, oh, that is uh, a great, uh, you know, breakthrough in science by a female scientist, or, oh, we're going to be joined by a female engineer, or we're going to, you know, by adding on that descriptor, it leads me to believe that. For some people, that's not the norm or that they find it a little bit out of the ordinary or, but, you know, I think that we need to, I don't know. I think we need to kind of do away with that necessarily because, for example, when I, uh, you know, discuss my friends, I don't say, hey, I have this friend that's a human being. No, because we assume that my friend is a human being. It doesn't need a special descriptor, right? So uh, by the same token, I think that eventually we will just say, okay, so there's this um, doctor that's coming on the show. Or uh, later tonight I'm going to be meeting with uh, uh, an architect. And we don't even need to add a female doctor, a female architect, because it will be implied that it be either and that it's really, really a non-issue. So I think that the main thing is... Um, To not even, um, again, that's at least my point of view. I've never felt that my gender were in any way a hindrance or an obstacle or a handicap. It never crossed my mind. I think that maybe if I had thought that it was or could potentially be some kind of hindrance, I might have been held back. Now, I do have a, a rather controversial stance on I don't even know... Okay, here's the thing. I see that these days there's a lot of talk about inclusion and the importance of specific genders or, you know, sexual preferences or whatnot being represented everywhere. And, of course, I can see the value in that, certainly. But the thing is that I feel that it should be kind of a non-issue, going out of your way to say, I need to make this point or I need to be on in this industry because, okay... I feel that I don't need to see somebody do a thing to assume that I can do it. For instance, uh, when I was entering the field of court interpreting, I honestly had no idea as to what to expect. I hadn't even heard about that. And hence, I never even questioned, but will it be fine to be uh, a woman in that field? I mean, I have that, that wasn't even something that would have crossed my mind. In reality, it, it would have been an non-issue, but I didn't know that for a fact. Maybe if I had thought that it could be a hindrance in some way, I might have hesitated before, um, you know, trying to get into that field. I think that also sometimes people say, I need to see somebody like me doing a thing to know that I can do the thing. I think, no, 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 no. You don't even need to see anybody. You just know that you can, know that you can. And also, I don't, necessarily think that everybody needs to be, and again, this is very controversial, but I want to explain what I mean by it. I don't think that everybody needs to be represented. For example, I know that there's a lot of um, pushback these days uh, against, for instance, uh, runway models or Victoria's Secret models or things like that, uh, because they feel that the person, you know, the woman, the girl, the little girl looking at these uh, female, um, you know, models might feel like i'm not beautiful enough i'm not tall enough i'm not thin enough i i kind of beg to differ i don't necessarily feel the need to look like people i see for example when i'm watching basketball i don't say i feel terrible i'm too short i'm not that athletic this is terrible i feel awful oh my goodness my life is over no and if i see like a 10 foot tall model i mean fantastic i mean she's very aesthetically pleasing i don't feel the need to compete against that in in any way so i think the main thing is to empower yourself from the inside out regardless of what is going on around you or what it is that you're seeing it really i mean really there is no 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 competition i, it I want to, i'm
0: sorry i want to interrupt yes. you would you would yes. you say that's choosing to prevail because i literally just when you just said empower yourself that's making the choice to prevail
1: isn't it I believe so. I believe so because you can go you can go through life saying, I wanted to be a scientist, but I didn't see any female scientists out there, so I thought I couldn't. Well, I mean, that's that's very weird. I mean, never will you see a person that looks exactly like you doing a thing because they're not you. You will be the first you doing the thing. So it really it really should not be uh that we as Women or you know, people in modern society are just waiting around to represent it. No, I mean, why not be the trailblazer? Why even make it an issue? I mean, it's something that that should be very natural. You know, there's a show that, um, I mean, it kind of resonated with millennials, even though it's more of a almost like a Gen X show, almost uh, Friends. Friends is, uh, I mean, it's a very you know, it's it's not a groundbreaking show, you wouldn't think, however, Friends did. You know, mention the the most uh, controversial of things in a very matter of fact way. You see, gay people on there, surrogate parents, single parents, and nobody's batting an eye. And I liked, uh, regardless of how you feel about that show, I liked the naturalness of how these things were introduced. For instance, uh, on the show, uh, one of the people on it is a single mom, and it's like a non-issue. It's not like people are saying, oh, how horrible, oh, how shocking, or, no, it's just like, I think it's not, it's not even uh, something that, that causes any kind of, um, you know, it's not supposed to be, you know, like a horrible thing or anything. Even uh, today, if you see any children's movies, um, I would say over the last 15 years, children's movies, animation or, or live action, most of the families represented in uh, these movies are not your typical nuclear family. They might they might be a nuclear family, but they might be a single dad and his daughter. They might be an uncle and his uh, nephew, or maybe a grandpa and two uh, grandchildren. It really doesn't matter. And I like the fact that this is presented just in a natural way, not saying oh how horrible, oh how shocking, oh how strange. I like I like it when things are just kind of you know when you can just ease into a thing. So I wouldn't necessarily, um, you know, make it a point to tell a little girl, despite the fact that you're a little girl, you can do anything because that causes the, the idea, like, what do you mean despite? I mean, how is it an issue? It would be more normal, like, eh, it's, it's not a biggie. It's just, it, it it's not a hindrance. And it really isn't, I think.
0: Oh man, I mean, it, it, it's beautiful, it, it's beautiful. Um it comes down to word choice it yes. definitely doesn't come down to word choice and your upbringing you just to kind of like circle back you also mentioned your upbringing right you didn't even know it was a thing you no know, no Like, right? and I think that that's incredible because you had the right upbringing and it, it's just it's it's just so amazing it's it, it's perspective of course but um all of that, what happens in childhood, of course, you're going to see it in your adulthood for sure. And it's interesting because we live in a time now where there's a lot, there's a lot going on in the world. But we also have a vice president who is a woman, and I think that, that right there, that right there was 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 the change in itself. And I, I, in my personal opinion, I believe females are better leaders than males because. Whenever me and males go at it, it's ego. Everyone wants to be alpha. Every, I've worked for multiple different fitness corporations, and my mm-hmm. best manager I've had is female, female manager. And how, like, how they talk to you is more direct. It's not trying to break you down. It's not egotistical. With men, men don't like to say that. Men don't like to say women are better leaders. Right? That's how some men think. I don't think like that. I, I, I'm. I call a spade a spade. If if you have if you're a better leader, lead, please. In my relationship, my girl has to lead. I can't <laughs> lead, right? I'm more so the back end, the business, but we don't we don't thrive if she's not leading. I lead in my direction, and she leads in her direction. But I, I in my personal opinion, I believe that we need more female leaders. We need more not female leaders. I don't want to say that, but we need more. We need more <laughs> women in positions of power. We need more. We need. We, we just need more. We need to see it more. And I. And I also believe, my opinion. You know, with these little girls, especially if you're if you're black, if you're let's just if you're not white, it, like it, it's just a different game, right? You know, if whether you're Hispanic, black, Indian, Asian, whatever the case may be. We're all faced with different challenges. I was faced with different. I'm a black man. Like I got anxiety just going outside, right? A cop driving behind me, I get this anxiety. So we're all faced with different. We're all faced with different hurdles in life. It's all about perspective, how we how we react to it, and not letting that box us in. Oh, because I'm a black man, boo hoo, feel sorry for me. But um, I'm not gonna try to curse. But BS, man, I'm not. I'm not gonna play victim. I'm gonna play victorious. I'm not gonna use that as as a crutch
1: oh, well, you know, well, this is not happening for me.
0: I don't like that. I, I, You know, that's me making excuses for the world, right? I'm at peace with myself and I'm at war with the world. So, you know, ha- I get really passionate about this is because I have a daughter. And ever since I became a father, it's like I'm starting to see the world through, uh, you know, a, a woman's eyes or, or a girl's eyes. And I'm very cautious on what I say, how I say things, my delivery, even like, I just caught myself. You you saw me, I caught myself. I was like, female, like, Oh no, I am not, I, I, I I check myself all the time. But (laughs) if this was three years ago, I'm not dad. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think like that. And I think it's all about also meeting people where they're at, right? Some people aren't there um, until you experience certain things or you see certain things or certain people come into your life that's gonna shift your perspective. And I don't know if you talk about this in the book or not, um, in, in like, as far as this adversity, but I also wanted to talk to you about that and fear as well, and I mentioned that earlier. How do, you, how do you respond to adversity and fear? Of course, we just went over this global pandemic, it's been a year now, right? How have you been able to adapt and respond to this?
1: To fear in general, to fear in general. to concerns in general okay um i think that there's um i think everybody at some point is lying in bed at night and uh, unable to sleep because you have all of these fears about the future i think that's a very um widespread experience and you're thinking okay what are where is my life going what is uh Does my life have any meaning? And then you start to feel this existential angst. I think that that um, happens on occasion. I think that the way to address that is uh, manifold. First, when we feel those kinds of of fears or nagging thoughts, well, I mean, well, one upside is that it shows that we have uh, the potential for reflection, self-reflection, if you even have these thoughts, it means that you have the time to think these thoughts. I mean, maybe if we were like, you know, exhausted um, throughout the day, we might not even have the time to to explore these thoughts. So there's there's that thing that we do have the capacity to, um, to have these thoughts. Now, oftentimes the concern about where our life is going is because we feel that we went down a path that was the wrong path. Maybe at a certain point, we were faced with more than one decision and we're wondering if uh, we actually made the right decision. And I think that something that is very helpful for, for those kinds of concerns is to do a little exercise. And not to say that I would suggest, you know, being like the fox in the fable, the fox and the grapes, but you can try thinking about the path that you did not choose And how your life would have turned out had you taken that path. However, the uh, special thing about this exercise is that you will not be focusing only on the great things that could have happened, but also on the terrible things that could have happened. So that's very important. Then the other thing is knowing... Okay, focusing on something that's going very well in your life. For example, you mentioned you had a daughter. Many of us that are parents, we wouldn't trade our children for the world. And if we had done anything differently, if anything, anything had been better, worse, different, uh, you know, quicker to happen, slower to happen, any any minor change would have led to us not having our specific son or daughter. We're not having any children at all. And I think that, for example, even if we underwent a number of trials and tribulations and horrors in the past, if anything, any minor detail had been changed or avoided, that would have caused the butterfly effect, which would have led to us not having our kids. So, I mean, that's something that will do away with regret, definitely. That is something that will erase any regrets that you might have. That's important. Then the other thing is knowing that Nothing is set in stone, and many things can be changed even overnight, and they do. Oftentimes, things pop out of nowhere, bad things, and sometimes good things pop out of nowhere. So really, here's the thing. You might say, well, I've been struggling with this terrible thing for so many years. I'll never be able to overcome it. Well, that's a very defeatist uh, point of view. Many things are very easy to overcome, once and for all, and quickly. One of the ways to turn things around firstly is to believe that it can be done and I'm not saying this to be very Pollyanna and say oh it's all positive thinking no but the reality is that if you don't think a thing can be achieved or changed you won't you will most likely not even try and you will not see opportunity when opportunity presents itself but for example I I have seen uh And I'm sure that you and your listeners have also seen people that might have been, let's say, bullied in high school or whatever because they were, um, and I'm just putting a a simple example out there. They were picked last for sports and they were uh, overweight and they had uh, like these things going on. Well, if you search for these people these days on Facebook or other social media, oftentimes now they're three times Ironman champions, or they are fitness models or something. Things can be changed, and they often are. So it's firstly a matter of understanding that it can be done, at least to some degree. And also, it's very important to change the the way you speak to yourself. And again, I'm not wanting to fall into the the super law of attraction uh, necessarily, but there are reasons both mystical and very tangible why this this is so. Um, There was this um, mystic from Barbados, his name was Neville Goddard, and his, um, let's say, what he used to um, teach audiences was that when you can picture yourself in a certain situation and literally feel as if you were in that situation and claim yourself to be in that situation, eventually the thing would harden into fact. It would actually come to pass. Now, whether there's some magic or some mystic uh, mechanism that actually encourages that, well, I mean, who knows, right? But the reality is that even on a very, very tangible level, it's true. And I'm going to give you an example that is also controversial, but I think it's interesting. Let's say, for example, let's say that uh, I want to be an artist. And that's kind of true because I actually am uh, doing you know, uh, things as an artist right now. But let's say that even before that. If I start claiming myself to be an artist, and I start telling people, you know, I'm very much into art, I am an artist, etc., I'm doing very well. Uh, a lot of people are interested in in shows that I might put uh, put on, etc. Maybe at the time it might be a bit of a stretch. Maybe I'm I'm not quite there. Maybe I'm kind of making it up but i i believe it wholeheartedly okay what's going to happen is first and foremost next time you have somebody on your show that is a gallery owner you will you know maybe reach out to me and tell me hey i met this gallery owner maybe you two can you know uh have a conversation and that's an opportunity right there or maybe um You know how we all think our devices are spying on us and it might be true if it's true and i'm just going around saying i'm an artist so i'm an artist next thing you know i will be bombarded with fantastic youtube tutorials and courses on how to make money as an artist and where i can buy supplies for cheap and how i can market myself more efficiently and now i have all of these uh, fabulous pieces of information that might be very valuable that i otherwise would not have found so uh, So there might be you know mystical forces that will lead me to actually become an artist but there are actually very tangible things that do happen the moment you say things are so so in reality if you're afraid of the future and you go around saying oh i'm a loser i will always be unemployed this is terrible things are going very very poorly you're just you know setting yourself up for a continued series of disappointments it's much better to speak to and about yourself in a way that is in in line with whatever you're trying to achieve.
0: No matter how much we talk to other people, there's no one that we talk to more than ourselves. True. Now closing out, um, closing out this interview. What is the biggest takeaway? Uh, you know, I don't like. I don't want to give too much for the book, of course. But I want, like, what is the biggest takeaway um, that you want your uh, the listeners for this particular episode to just take away from just listening to you speak? Uh, choose to prevail. What, what, what do you want? What, what's the what's the ideal message? Uh, if, if you could put it in one word, I want you to put this in, I want to kind of make it a little bit more challenging. If you can put <laughs> everything in one word, what would it be?
1: In one word. Okay. Well, maybe the word would be agencies. Agency as in you have control, you have more control, you have more self-determination.
0: I like that. Mm-hmm. Now, Sandy, uh, tell uh, the audience where can where can we pretty much stay in touch with you and follow you uh,
1: as far as the social media. Oh, absolutely! If you want to follow me on Instagram, and I would love that. That's at Choose to Prevail. We also have a Facebook group, also titled Choose to Prevail. Uh, The book itself is available on Amazon and pretty much everywhere else on uh, barsandnoble.com, target.com, walmartebooks.com, also a few independent booksellers. Uh, Signed copies are available exclusively through heartofhollywoodmagazine.com, so that's another option. Um, And really, well, actually, if anybody would be curious about the music that uh, we featured in the Choose to Prevail launch, which is actually pretty cool, the, the music. I would be more than happy to send them an audio file if they would care to to listen. Uh, th- I would ask them to send me an email over at sandyrs at gmail.com. That's Sandy with a Y, R as in Rose, S as in Sam, at gmail.com. And I'll be happy to send them an um, the, the music. It's, uh, I don't know, not everybody likes rock music, but I think they like this particular example of rock music. It's instrumental and it's inspired by the book.
0: I freaking love it. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm waiting on my copy of the book right now. So I, <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited because Justine, <laughs> just talking to you, and this is why I love this. I love podcasting for this Main reason I get to really get in the mind of a of a writer and an author and like what's your why and, and what sparked this and like it's so good. And and like when I open your book and I read it, it's like I I'm having this conversation again and it's it's really inspiring. I mean I'm really excited for the book. I'm excited for the listeners to to order their copy, get the copy of the book, and choose to prevail. Right, like the title speaks for itself. What do you want to do? You want to fail or you want to prevail? Right? I mean, look, you got options. Life is going to give you those two options, and it's totally up to you. But um, closing out, guys. Like always, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the Saint Clair Speak Show podcast. This episode and all episodes of the Saint Clair Speak Show podcast is streaming on all major platforms: Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeart Radio, Audible, uh, Overcast, and Radio Public. I'll see you guys in the next one. I want to thank you again for streaming. Sandy, thank you for stopping by and spending your time with us (laughs) on the St. Clair Speak Show podcast.
1: Thank you.